we're in a series called Rhythm. Now, this series, uh, for, for me personally, I, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm teaching a series per se, but just simply sharing what I'm learning right now. Uh, this is so much more than uh, kind of teaching through, oh, hey, we got this passage. Uh, it was Tuesday morning that uh, a week and a half ago where I woke up and God just put this passage on my heart, John 15, and I actually had some directions for this series where we're going to go, and, and God redirected it. Uh, and I really feel called, this passage, John 15, for me personally, is my theme passage. It is what I feel like God says. If you do one thing this year, do this. If you do nothing else but this, you will land well. You'll be the dad, Ryan, you long to be. You'll be the husband you long to be. You'll be the pastor and the leader you long to be. If you do nothing else, do this. And, and I really feel this is our theme passage for us as a church, for us as a community, that, that if we do nothing else as a church, if we don't gather any more Sundays, if we don't have any more worship, if we don't have any more missional communities and all the other things that's going on, if we do nothing else, it says you will land well and be the church I made you to be if you do this. Moving for us as a community and for us personally from surviving to thriving. John 15 gives us God's rhythm, God's antidote, God's plan for how you and I move from surviving to thriving. Now, the reason this is really personal for me is, um, is right in August, and I've gone through, I don't know about you, but if, if we're talking about moving from surviving to thriving, I've had lots of times in my life where I felt like I'm just surviving, just making it through. Uh, but most of the time, those times are, are ones in which I look around and circumstances are hard. I've had times when both of my uh, kids had major medical issues and going to have to have surgery. You know, my rider, when he came out of the womb, you know, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck five times. He wasn't breathing. They pulled him out of the room. Scary, right? Those are the times where I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm just trying to survive. August was different. This last August, this isn't, so this isn't like, hey, I've gone through, I've seen the promised land, come follow me, look how great I am, I'm thriving, right? August. August, everything's going just fine. In fact, church is growing. God's showing up, my kids are starting school. I started to have these anxiety attacks. I've shared it with you before. On a nightly, regular basis, these panic attacks. I, I couldn't sleep. I was just talking to someone who was walking in and talking about not being able to sleep. And so I did what only I know to do in those moments of, I, I looked at the next season of ministry and it's going to be really, really full. And I said, okay, I'm just going to grit my teeth, you know, and buckle in and just get it done. And so September, that's what I did. September, I was like, all right, I'm just going to buckle down and do this. Well, by the time October came, 
What friends and counselors around me and people who know me well began to speak into said, Ingram, you're on the verge of a word that I didn't believe in called burnout. You, in fact, you have all the signs. I'm like, well, what, what signs? Anxiety attacks? Yeah, okay. Are you depressed? A little bit. Are you, are you really tired and lack motivations? How'd you know? October, now just think about this. God's showing up here. And, and by the way, giving's up too, which is a major stress release. I'm like, we were in September, we're like, oh my goodness, God, we ne- desperately need you to show up. And all of a sudden he shows up, I'm like, wow, family's doing fine. And in that moment, I felt like all I was doing was just trying to hang on and survive. It led me to ask this question in my life. It led me to ask this question uh, that began to send me on this little three-month journey that is really resetting the course and led me to this passage where we're going. Are the rhythms of my life nourishing or numbing? Are the rhythms of my life numbing? Are the rhythms in such a way, are they just trying to keep me going through the day, or are they actually nourishing? Are they life-giving? See, because here's what I understood or began to understand about thriving. Thriving isn't an event that happens in a place in time. Thriving is a practice. Thriving is a habit. Thriving is built into the very rhythms and fabric of our day. In fact, I asked this question a little bit differently. Are my daily practices, my current habits, nourishing to my soul? Think about that. Just think about your daily habits, your current practices. Are they nourishing? When you sit back and I just, are they nourishing? Are they life-giving? Are they joy-infusing to your soul? Or... Or or are they simply numbing me so I can get through the day? And then Jesus says something like this. This is the purpose statement of John chapter 15. He says, I've told you these, that my joy might be in you and your joy complete. John chapter 15, verse 11. He says, the the last 10 verses, the last 10 verses of what I've said, I've told you this, and here's the reason. That's so that, purpose statement, so that my joy, the joy of the God of the universe, the peace of the God of the universe, the life of the God of the universe might be in you, and that your joy might be complete. Because here's what I realized when I asked that question. Are the rhythms of my life numbing or nourishing? I didn't really know what was truly nourishing to my soul. And I'd do some things, but it wasn't actually nourishing. I'd look back up and go, no, you know what? They just are sedating me. They are not satisfying my deepest needs. So, last week, we actually only covered five words in John chapter 15, anybody remember what they are? Anyone? Ah, oh, dude, you guys are good. 
good. Super Sunday just got better for me. I am the true vine. The reality that Jesus declares, I am the only one who can truly nourish the needs of your soul. I am the one who can fully satisfy your deepest longings. You can run everywhere else. You can look everywhere else. There is nothing that isn't all those good things, but I'm God. I long to, I am the one who will satisfy. Now, to set us up for this morning and where we're going to go this morning, let, let me ask you this question. Because I think if you're, if you're with me, and I think this is American, and I think for me this is the way, when we think about thriving, when we kind of wrestle with that concept of thriving, we think about it in such a way that it's always good, always easy, and it should just come naturally right? I mean, when we kind of really think about thriving, we go, if I'm moving from surviving to thriving, that, that to thrive is like, oh man, life's easy, life's perfect, life's amazing, and anytime anybody asks me, how are you, you should say, fantastic, thriving, right? You know, <laughs> come on. Now let me ask you this, let me ask you this. Why is it, why is it when looking back that some of the most painful experiences in your life, though you would never want to repeat them, you wouldn't want to replace them either. Think about that. Why is it, and especially for those of us that have a little bit more life experience and those who have more life experience than me, why is it, why is it that some of the most painful experiences, that broken relationship, that job loss, that, that cancer report, those things that you go, you look back and you go, that was hard and that hurt and oh God, why? In the moment. Why is it when looking back, though you would never want to repeat it, you also, if someone said, I can replace it, I can take it away, and you said, no, 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 no. No, no, don't replace it. Think about it. Think about it from the perspective of, of like, mothers. We got any moms in here? Any moms? A few of you? Any proud moms? Okay. Okay, thank you. All right. Because just think about this. I, I was thinking about this. From the perspective of a mom, and you get pregnant, right? The first three months, you're sick and vomiting, right? And weird smells just send you the wrong way. The next three months, the next three months, here, here's, I've gone through this three times, not me personally, obviously, but uh, I've, I've watched it. The next three months is a grieving that your pants don't fit right and you have to buy elastic pants, Right? You show up, and I remember my wife first getting them. I'm like, what the heck are those? You know, wow, can I get a pair? That's awesome. <laughs> right? <laughs> Girls don't think that's awesome. Think, guys think it's amazing. You know, last, you know, we need that for Thanksgiving. Um, and then the last three months, the last three months, you're so uncomfortable, you can't sleep, and so guys don't get to sleep either because that's the way it works. And then you have to pee every half an hour right? Right? This, this is what happens. And that's not even the worst part, right? That's not even the worst part. Then you have a labor 
which that ranks as one of the most, if not the most, painful experience that a human being can have. Now, here's what's weird. Women keep having babies, <laughs> right? I mean, just, just think about it. You guys keep popping them out. In fact, we got a lot of bellies around here. I love seeing all your bellies. I'm like, how awesome is that? I mean, we got babies coming. And you know all of that in advance. My wife, I mean, I've gone through this three times. We have three kids. My wife, where she's at at three kids later, we're, we're done, by the way. Done. <laughs> Though she would never want to repeat that moment and those moments, she would never replace it either. Why? Because the joy of holding your child eclipses the momentary pain that it took to bring that child into the world. The joy of holding your son or your daughter, and the minute they bring them into the room, you, you say this, it was all worth it. Could it be? Could it be that the pathway to thriving might actually involve pain? Could it be that to actually thrive in your life, pain is, could be necessary? That although it isn't always pleasant but painful to thrive, the process of thriving, what it produces is great. And I think a lot of us fail to thrive and we live in survival mode because we always want it pleasant, don't we? We never want to embrace those moments that though in the moment we would never want to repeat, repeat, we realize, looking back, we'd never want to replace. Now notice what Jesus says. Because when he's talking to his disciples in John 15, when, when he's talking to them, and it's the last night that he's talking with his disciples, it's the, uh, you know, they just had the Last Supper in Jerusalem. They're walking down the valley, uh, of the Kidron Valley, and probably through some vineyards and the Jerusalem skyline in the background. He knows he has precious few moments to speak to his disciples as they head up the hill to the Mount of Olives. And, and he's got this moment. And he's not going to tell his disciples, hey, just hang on there. The next 72 hours is going to look really bad. I'm going to die. It's going to look like everything's going to fail. And you guys are going to be really scared. So just survive. He's going to speak life into him and said, I made you. I made you in the darkest moments and the hardest places to thrive. And let me show you what God's up to in those moments. Let's pick it up. John 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so they'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word uh, I have spoken to you. Remain in me. See, that's, that's the secret right there. That's the secret of thriving. The one thing you must know, the one thing you must embrace. He says, remain in me. The rhythm of remaining in the true source of life, Jesus says, that's it, that's it. Also, as I remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain 
in me. I, did you catch, catch that in the middle? Like the first five words is great, and we get all excited about, I am the true vine. You're like, yeah. And you didn't hear this sermon last week, go check it out on the podcast. And then the last part's like, oh man, that sounds so great. Remain in me. And then it begins to show us the process to thriving. That thriving doesn't happen in a moment, but thriving actually is a process. It shows us the process, and it shows us the purposeful work of the Father. And, and for the last, for remaining moments here, I just want to talk about the Father Gardener and his active work in your life, in my life, so that you might thrive. And if you and I miss this, we will resist or react to the work of God in our life. We won't embrace the moments. And we can sit back and always try to live in Pleasantville, but never truly thrive. Look at the, what it said here, the Father Gardener. First thing we see that the Father Gardener does is he positions us to thrive. He says this, uh, the father gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now circle that word cuts off. In the Greek, it's the word uh, iro right there. Uh, and it, it has two meanings. It means either to lift up or to take away. And so as you try to translate this word, you have to look at the context uh, and understand, okay, depending on the context, it either means to lift up or to take away. The NIV here has translated take away or cut off. Uh, and I want to suggest that based on the context, this word means to lift up. It has a drastic different meaning. Let me, let me give you a few reasons why I think that. Uh, first, in the ancient Near East, the, the viticultural practices is they would have, you know, a vine. And I was actually looking for grapevines, but everything's dormant, and so it just would have looked like sticks. And then we've always wanted an avocado tree, so I picked one up. And uh, <laughs> there you go. So avocados are awesome, and uh, this is nothing like a grapevine. But in the ancient Near East, when, and, and, and they had grapevines and, and, and vineyards everywhere. It, it was just common practice. And, and so what they would do is there would be these vines that trailed along the bottom uh, into the dirt. And they would do the same thing that when you go up to Napa they do. They would train these vines. They would use poles to prop them up and get them out of the dirt and bring them into the sunlight. In fact, the care of, of a gardener, the care of a vintner, he would go with every single branch. And if it was down in the dirt, he would wash it clean and then lift it up to get it into position so that it might thrive. Because every branch, every branch was a fruit-bearing branch that could bring in a lot of um, produce for their family and uh, income there. And so they're not going to just cut that off. So first, that is the ancient Near East practice of viticulture right there. Uh, and then also, we just think of the season that Jesus is talking about. We know what time frame this is. This is the time frame of Passover. Passover happens in the spring. Uh, springtime, there's two different major times uh, for when you prune. The first time is springtime pruning, that you're pruning back branches so that they might be most fruitful. And then wintertime, you prune them all the way back. You cut them drastically back to induce dormancy. 
Jesus is walking through, most likely, through a vineyard, talking to his disciples. He's got the imagery of the great golden vine, if you were here last week, uh, on the temple and the Jerusalem skyline in the background. And as he's talking, he's, he's just unpacking what's happened in front of him, most likely, and talking about, hey, look at this. You know what the Father Gardener does? Is he takes those in me that aren't bearing any fruit and he positions them to thrive. He, he, he positions you to thrive. He's going to take you from down here, from growing down in the weeds, into the dirt, where you suffocate, where you don't get any light, where you can't thrive. And what he wants to do is he wants to put you in a place where you will thrive. The other textual indicator we have there is where it says he cuts off every branch and then you see that in me. Everywhere else in the Gospel of John where he talks about in me is talking about a true follower of Jesus. Gospel of John, like no other gospel, emphasizes uh, the security of the believer in their relationship with God. It would be an abnormality for us to translate it then. They weren't fully followers of Christ. So I believe this word, he cuts off. You can scratch it out in your Bibles if you want. Lifts up. That the Father Gardener, one of the roles in your life is to position you, to put you in a place to thrive. Let me give you maybe a few circumstances that that's true. First, I think he positions those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Now, this, this I, I can't say I pulled strictly, directly from the text. The other two I can See, some of you are here this morning, and you don't even know why you showed up. You just followed the smell of bacon, <laughs> right? But some of you are here because you're invited by a friend, and you don't have a relationship with the God in the universe, and he's positioned you to thrive because you're here. You're in community. You're in a place around people who are inviting you in to have a relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus, and that is not by accident it's the Father Gardener. It's the Father Gardener in your life. Some of you have curiosities and questions about God that are just bubbling up. That is not by accident. It's the Father Gardener positioning you to thrive and bringing around people to answer those. Some of you have circumstances that have caused you to show up here or ask that person at work that you go, man, they always kind of say, hey, I'll pray for you, or there's something different about them. Hey, what's going on with you? And it's the Father Gardener positioning you to thrive. Now, he also positions those who are new in the relationship with Jesus. Those who are new in the relationship with Jesus. Uh, you know, the, the vine, the, the branch, did you know it takes about three years for it to become fruitful? And that when the first branch comes out, they actually let it grow wildly. It's not going to bear a whole lot of fruit, but it's just going to have massive growth. And what they're trying to do is really strengthen the base of the branch here so that it can bear the weight of fruit. And when you become a new follower of Jesus, here's what happens. It happens every time. It's so fun, and that's why it's so exciting to be around people who just started following Jesus, is you experience this explosion of growth in your life. And you read the Bible for the first time, and you're going like, oh, wow, amazing. Did you know? And then you come to church, and you feel like every time you come to church, it's like God speaking right to you, and you're worshiping together. You're like, wow. Wow, you know, and then you get into uh, serving. You're like, man, I'm just starting to use my gifts. And, and he begins to position you in community as well in the word of God as you worship to thrive. 
Now, now let me give you, just because I've seen this a handful of times, maybe a word of, of here's what's coming next. So here's what they do with the branch. They let it grow wildly, and then they actually prune it back severely so that it might bear fruit. You know, it's interesting. I've seen that in a lot of new Christians' lives, too. And that you have this, like, God experience, and every day is like, man, it's just journey. And then all of a sudden, here's, a, I've had this conversation so many times. I just don't feel God anymore. I, I'm not quite experiencing him the way I once did. And you know what he's doing? He's weaning you from the addiction of experience to where you long just for him. Because some of us become experienced junkies. Let me give you maybe a, a quick example. When my kids were little, uh, I mean like real little, so Ella's nine right now, Ryder's about to turn seven, Miles is on his way to four. So when they were little and they were potty training, and every time they went into the bathroom and they potty trained, and every time they did a little wee-wee, doo-doo, right? You know what we did as parents? Threw a party. We're like, whoa! You know, they went to the bathroom, and we're like, yeah! Way to go, son! So proud of you! It's awesome! Right? We did! And then we give them candy! Because <laughs> the alternative is on our floor, and so we like the potty. Now, I'll tell you what. My nine-year-old, we don't throw a party for anymore. Go, Ella, great job! Amazing! So proud of you! Woohoo! Now, every once in a while, Jenny and I, we throw, you know, when things aren't quite right, we're going to throw it. Yeah, that's a good job. We're throwing a party. But Ella, when she's 18, she's not going to have her parents walking in. Woohoo! Why? Why? Because in that moment, what she needed was the party of her parents celebrating what for us, it's just kind of like small acts, but it's so significant at that stage in life. But we don't throw the parties anymore. It doesn't mean we don't love her any less. It just means she's maturing, and so there's different things that we throw parties for now. As a new believer, there will be different things that God throws party for for you, and you just got to go, okay, I'm transitioning into different stages, and you're developing and maturing and embrace the process of God. And he positions those who are weak in their relationship with Jesus. And some of you are there this morning. You're struggling. You're, and here's what I'd say. Is he's going to bring some people into your life to speak some truth and he's positioned some people in your life. If you're here and you're weak and you're struggling and you feel like you're just kind of going through the same thing, and like the father gardener who takes that branch that can't quite support itself and it's down in the dirt, what you need to know is what he does is he will cleanse you. And he has. And some of you, I think the reason why you're weak and you're struggling is you live under an immense amount of guilt. You can't forgive you. And yet the God of the universe has already forgiven you. 
you are already clean. And you need to embrace the truth and the reality of his love. You need to stop trying to be the lone ranger Christian that can do it on his own or her own and say, I got this, and embrace community. Because he'll position you to thrive as well. First thing the Father Gardener does, he positions you and I, you and me, to thrive. Second thing, Second thing isn't quite as fun. I'll just give you a heads up, okay? Because you notice what it said in the text. He prunes every branch in me that bears fruit. He prunes, he cuts, he prunes you and I to thrive. He prunes us to thrive. He goes on to say, while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so they'll be even more fruitful. Oh, yeah. In the viticulture world, there's kind of three major reasons that they prune branches, at least in the springtime, for the health of the vine so that it might be most fruitful. The first reason they prune is for overgrowth. There is a reality of overgrowth that you can grow too much in too many directions and have all this life but no fruit. I think that's what happens in the Silicon Valley a lot. I think the overgrowth of our life is we're consumed with the good rather than being, uh, that crowds out the best. The good in our life, and we go, oh, that's good, oh, that's good, that's so good. We're not able to say no, and so we say yes, 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 yes. And, and we're busy, and busyness makes us feel important, and so we got all these sort of things, and, and he says, you know what, there's times in your life, the overgrowth of your life, I'm going to have to cut some things back so that you might thrive for some, it's actually moving to a whole new area, and he cut back things that were overgrowth. For some, it's relationships that have fallen apart or gone by the wayside, or you got an injury and you can't do the things that you used to do. Uh, one person, I don't know who said this, said this, devoting a little of yourself to everything means committing a great deal of yourself to nothing. And the Father says, you know what, I'm going to be faithful because I long, my purpose for you is to thrive, and so there's going to be maybe some overgrowth in your life, and I'm going to just cut it back. The second reason is he prunes is because of disease. Because there's things that are sick, that are, are living inside you, that are a part of your life, that he says, I'm going to cut back because it's sick. And the branch knows that, the father knows that if this continues on, this will destroy you. This will choke you out. And a lot of times the disease in our life, we're like, it's, it's really not that bad. Uh, you know what? I kind of actually like it. No, it doesn't hurt anybody. It's, it's not that big of a deal. And the father gardener out of love says, hey, guess what? I love you too much. I love you too much. I'm going to take that disease. A lot of times this is character formation. And there's character stuff in you that God wants to form and to shape in you. And he says, there's some things that you're made to look like me. And I'm going to bring you on a process that will help you begin to look a lot more like me. Purifying, cutting out motives. It might be the attitude of pride, insecurity, anger, jealousy, 
comparison. He says, I want to root that out because it's a disease that will destroy you. The last reason. Prunes for overgrowth, prunes because of disease, and he prunes, and they prune simply because it's dead. Because it's dead. There's some things in your life, if we're really honest, that are dead. I get it, I get it. I know this is painful. Pruning is never easy, but it's always necessary. He says there's some things in your life that are dead. There's some habits that need to die. There's sin in your life that needs to be cut out. There's some relationships, if we're honest, that are dead. Not like I'm in this marriage and it's just dead, you know. But I'm at the office and I'm in this marriage and I'm flirting with her or him. Or I've begun to go down this road with them. Or I'm starting to drink a little too much here. It's dead. When I, uh, when I was in college... I went mountain bike riding with my buddy, uh, Steve, and we were having a lot of fun, and we're riding uh, mountain bikes in Chicago. Uh, like, there's, not really, there's no mountains in Chicago. Um, coming from here is really a big disappointment, but there was a few ravines, uh, and we rode the ravines mountain biking. And, and as we were riding, I fell, I hit a bump, and I fell, and there's this tree that had this long um, spikes um, in it, uh, thorns in it. I mean, they're this long and real skinny. I don't know what kind of tree. And so my hand hits, uh, hits it, and it goes deep into my hand right there, and then breaks off, right? Uh, yeah, Al. Uh, and and as, as I did that, I kind of looked at it, and I'm like, oh, crap, because we're a couple miles away from our car, and there's really no way to ride in rough terrain without two hands. So I have, I have to hold on to my bike with this broken piece. I tried to get it out. I couldn't. Broken piece of thorn in my hand for the next, you know, two or three miles as we're riding back to the car. So all it's doing is driving it in deeper into my hand. I called my brother later. He's a physical therapist. So I should have called a doctor. Uh, <laughs> and I said, hey, man, uh, this is what happened. What should I do? And I couldn't get it out with tweezers or anything. He's like, I'll j just leave it be. It'll work its way out on its own. I said, okay. That's bad advice, by the way, just FYI. <laughs> I wake up the next morning. It, it, it had kind of covered over. For a year and a half, I had a dead branch in my hand. I could feel it as it kind of moved in my hand right there. And, and one day, I think it was in class or whatnot, I began to play with this bump that's in my hand. I have scar tissue there now, so it feels like I still have it. Uh, a bump that was in my hand, and it kind of disintegrated on me. What it did was it began to release, I don't know how it worked, but it released toxins or disease into my bloodstream, and I, a sore emerged from there. And then I, I got a, a very serious staph infection. Got the blue lines down, and this became just this green, pussing, swollen hand that I ended up going to the doctors, and literally, he took a scalpel and had to cut out the dead branch in my hand that's been there for a year and a half. Now, 
I got to tell you, as I was at this, because I didn't have insurance, so I was at one of those walk-in clinics, right? Um, and so I'm at this walk-in clinic, and this guy's got this scalpel to my hand. It was painful. I wasn't under or anything like that, and I'm a weenie. I'm not a woman. Women are strong. You give birth to kids. Men, weak, okay? Uh, this was painful. The ulterior was leave it and quite literally is let the t- staph infection take over and die. Leave it for a little bit longer and you lose a hand. There's some things, if, I, if we can talk about this, there's some things in your life that are lying dormant. They've been in you for a while. And because of that, you kind of feel like they're no big deal. And you're, but you need to allow God to do the work of cutting them out. And you're like, I don't, there's a conversation that you haven't had that you know you need to have, and you just need to begin to bring that to the light. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. I could lose a relationship. I don't know what my wife will say. I don't know what my husband will say. And it's dead. And what you need to know is the, 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 the reality is, is leaving that there, the consequences are so much greater than dealing with it now. See, we push stuff off, don't we? We go, oh, I'll deal with that later. And it's always worse when we delay. Three reasons we prune. We prune because of overgrowth, disease, and death. Now, now when God's doing this, and when we're experiencing this, here's what it feels like to us, okay? It's like God has this big old thing, and this is the biggest one I had, and my wife's like, that's not going to cut it, you know? And so I went to the orchard this morning and got this. But here's what we feel like when, when we're in the midst of the moment of real pruning. We feel like God's just going like this, gah, gah, I, I really wanted to plant this, so I'm not actually going to cut it. Um, <laughs> you're all disappointed. Uh, and it just feels like it's all kind of, he's doing this, and it's like, what the heck? And it's senseless, and it's like, I'm just going through the ringer. Now, Margaret Feinberg wrote a great little book called uh, Scouting the Divine. In it, she goes around and interviews people who are experts in their field, like uh, uh, shepherds and viticultures and uh, um, vintners, I guess that's the proper way of saying it. And, and in it, she uh, interviews a uh, master vintner named Christoph. He says this. He says about uh, pruning. Over the course of pruning, you make a series of precise, strategic cuts that will produce the healthiest, most robust vines. Did you catch that? You make a series of precise, strategic cuts that will produce the most robust healthiest vines. In fact, he says, you make these cuts with the end of mind of thinking about this vine 10 years from now and being fruitful 10 years from now. See, God doesn't approach us with this big old thing. In fact, these are the tools of Ventner. Notice the difference. The precision. Very focused. You can make a fine cut. It feels like this, and I get that. But in reality, the Father Gardener, Father Gardener says, I'm making precise, 
strategic cuts. And I understand that it's painful. I'm sad that it's painful. But that you might thrive. What we must remember about the Father, we have a perfect heavenly Father who is intimately involved in our life, whose love compels him to do whatever's necessary for us to thrive. You have, you have a perfect heavenly Father who is intimately involved in your life. He's not distant. He's not aloof. He is intimately strategic. Did you catch that from the text? The Father's active in your life. The God of the universe is active in your life. He cares about you to the point of doing whatever is necessary for you. A couple weeks ago, Miles had an infection now in his toe. We're sitting in the bathtub, and it was so bad, and he's one of those rough and tough kids that I had to, like, bring Jenny in, and I mean, he, he runs, and his toes get all torn up, and I mean, this was deep, and there's dirt in there. As a dad, this was, this was awful, because as I'm holding his foot, because he's trying to pull it away, and I'm pouring the, the, the stuff in there, and I know it stings, I'm getting a Q-tip to try to clean out the dirt, and I just see tears in his eyes and he's crying and Jenny's holding him you're being strong, you're being strong, hang in there I didn't do that out of anger I didn't do that because I'm a bad dad there's other reasons that I might be but not that reason I did that because I love him I knew that this momentary pain would far outweigh the consequences later. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that there are things in your life that when you look back, that though you never want to repeat, you never would want to replace them either? See, I I don't want to replace this fall because God's done too much in me. I'm a different man. I'm so thankful for that. I can't wait to see what he continues to do because I just now go, okay, God, I am in your process. Would you invite that? Would you, this moment, this moment, uh, this morning, would you invite, say, God, I am in your process. Have your way with me. We're going to take communion tonight, this morning. I'm getting all confused this morning. And you got grapes up here. And we take it every, but I want you to grab a couple grapes because just to remind you that in the painful moments, what will be produced far outweighs the painful moments. You just grab that and realize he's producing this in you. And though it's painful, it is worth it. And you just would have this invitation. In fact, this would be, you would personalize this affirmation. I have a perfect heavenly father who's instantly involved in my life whose love compels him to do what's ever necessary for me to thrive. Did you just make that your morning affirmation this week? And, and you would simply go like this, and as we worship, at some point you would do this, this gesture of your hands open and go, have your way in me.
You go, God, you are the father gardener. You're not just a gardener. You're my perfect heavenly father who loves me to the point of doing what's ever necessary that I might thrive. Have your way in me. And the band come forward. Let's pray. God, we dove into some things that are sensitive, into some areas of pain, and I think for some people, they've pushed some things down and tried to run from some things, and so I ask in this moment, as we worship you, God, that your presence and your grace and your love would invade this space, that, that people wouldn't, uh, that they would catch your heart and your love and your joy over them, your purpose and your plan, God, that we would be a community that affirms and invites you to have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.